We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. everyone, thanks for listening. Today's guest is a survivor of severe postpartum psychosis. After a hospitalization and a challenging recovery, Lisa learned how to understand her own needs so that she could be the best mother she could be. She is passionate about maternal mental health and all of the little things that can affect it, and believes that we need to throw out the all-sacrificing model of motherhood. Hi, everyone. We've got Laura and Melissa here today on the show, and we're really excited to be interviewing a special guest. Her name is Lisa Abramson, and Lisa it reached out to us to share her story um, with postpartum depression and psychosis. She actually did a TEDx talk. Um, when was when did you do that, Lisa? And you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I did that um, a, a little over a year ago. So when my daughter was two years old, I was able to give a TEDx talk about my experience. Very cool. And what and what brought that about? How, what transpired that you were able to tell your story on that platform? Yeah, so interesting enough, I ended up um, writing a blog post about my experience because I felt like after, you know, my daughter was approaching her second birthday, it was time to kind of tell the truth of the the struggles and the reality of my transition into motherhood. And um, someone, I was fortunate that someone saw that blog post and invited me uh, to the stage at TEDx where I was able to, you know, share that story live. So that was actually the very first time I ever <laughs> spoke the story aloud was on that main stage, which was um, ended up being a great experience because I wanted to share my story because the minute I opened my mouth and said, hey, this is what I went through, this is what I was struggling with, I kept hearing, oh, I know someone who faced something similar or, mm-hmm. you know, my sister-in-law was facing that as well or, um I just, no one's ever talking about it, but the stories were kind of coming out of the woodworks, and so that's when I decided I needed to come forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and during the time that you were experiencing postpartum depression, you mentioned, you know, that you told this the story when your daughter was about two. Did you feel like you were transparent with people along the way while you were, you know, in the trenches? Um, and what did that look like? Yeah, you know, I feel like I was... Um, for better, for worse, I, you know, I, I, I'm pretty much tell it like it is. I kind of can't help yeah. myself, but, um, it was more, um, you know, deciding that I wanted to share that outside of my, you know, friends and family and, you know, put something on the internet for, <laughs> for forever to be, you know, a marker in time. So that right. was, um, that was sort of my journey. And, you know, for me, it was, because I had um, postpartum psychosis, which is one of the most severe, but also most rare maternal Mm -hmm. mental health disorders. It only affects about one in a thousand um, moms after birth. And Mm -hmm. it typically happens in the first month after childbirth. And so then that was what was the case with me. It happened, it started about two weeks after I had my daughter. So it was like very severe, you know, and very sudden. And also completely blindsided me because I had never had any experience with um, any mental health 
um, you know, issues or disorders. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, bam, out of nowhere, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was completely unwell. And that was that in in and of itself was very foreign to me. Yeah, I think that's a really important part of your story. And and frequently is a part of women's stories when they experience postpartum mental health issues. They, you know, they don't see it coming because they didn't, you know, they didn't experience, they haven't experienced Mm -hmm. depression or anxiety or whatever that might be. And so it it really comes out of the blue and it, it can make it, I think, even harder to talk about because you don't, you don't have built in language or coping mechanisms or um, even the ability to recognize these things because you've, you know, you've spent years dealing with it already. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And, um, you know, it was intimidating um, to even think about, you know, oh, I I need a psychiatrist. What's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? Like all the yeah. language around everything was foreign to me um, and my family. So it was, you know, first even recognizing, you know, something's wrong. And then, you know, is there a name for this? And especially, you know, with the symptoms I experienced with psychosis, which were really, um, you know, confusion and uh, paranoia, and then I experienced some delusions and hearing things, I really, you know, I thought I was going crazy. And I asked my husband that over and over the, you know, those first few weeks when I was suffering, I kept saying, am I going crazy? Am I going crazy? Mm. But I didn't know that you, there was even such a thing as having a baby and then going crazy, you know, and after, you know, basically three days of uh, not sleeping for me, the, the sleep deprivation, as well as the hormonal changes were a big trigger for me um, in terms of causing um, the psychosis. It was that I didn't even know. And, you know, I, it wasn't until actually I was in um, the psychiatric ward where I ended up being um, treated there for 10 days that my husband brought me a piece of paper from the website Postpartum Support International and it described um, postpartum psychosis and the symptoms and then I was like oh it's like a thing that I have <laughs> this isn't just me thinking I've gone crazy this is something that is real and has affected other moms and is you know been happening since the beginning of time. Right it's easy to say I'm you know am I going crazy but like you said you you weren't really aware that there's such a thing as actually going crazy. Yeah, maybe exactly. we could go back and talk a little bit about kind of what that first was like for you and then kind of some steps you took after you realized that maybe after that moment. Yeah, so um, for me, it was, you know, I we were planning to have um, a child. My husband and I were thrilled to find ourselves pregnant. We were fortunate to, you know, get pregnant on pretty much the first try. And so we were excited and thrilled. And my pregnancy was pretty non-eventful. And, you know, as well as the birth, and I was, you know, happy with the way everything came out and my daughter was healthy. You know, I felt bonded and completely in love with her from the get-go and felt that strong connection and then for me, when things started getting hard, were really, um, I was having some trouble breastfeeding, and my um, daughter was just drink- drinking the, the letdown milk, but then was mm-hmm. kind of a lazy eater and not eating after that. So she ended up 
you know, losing weight instead of gaining weight, which, you know, now I can look back and say, you know, most breastfed babies do lose weight. Um, Mm -hmm. But I didn't have that context. And even if people were telling me that it really it felt like a really like a life and death crisis. And I, it was my first experience of being like, I'm failing as a mom, I cannot feed my child. And so that was really, that was hard for me emotionally. And I think I didn't necessarily recognize it at the time, but it was kind of traumatic, you know, living in the Bay Area and thinking about, you know, wanting to feed my daughter all organic things and breastfeed and do everything right. It was, it was hard to kind of feel like I was, you know, failing at this active breastfeeding and she was losing weight. So I was stressed about that. And then I was put on a pretty rigorous feeding schedule by my daughter's um, Mm -hmm. pediatrician where it was every two hours I was supposed to feed her and it was feed her and then feed her the pumped milk and then pump and then clean the pump parts. And I mean, it is you 24 you know, hour as, day job there. Uh-huh. And that basically means you have 10 to 15 minutes to maybe like drink a glass mm-hmm. of water or like shove something down your face mm-hmm. um, yeah. before it's time to start it again. And, um, you know, I think it was all of these factors and I really felt like I have to do this. Like there's no other option. I didn't see any, any kind of safety net in site. Um, I didn't think about formula, which I wish I would have earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I kind of, I just, I burned myself out. And then I was really not sleeping at all because of the combination of that feeding schedule. And then, you know, when I was trying to rest, I really couldn't rest because I was, by that time, the kind of full-blown anxiety had really kicked in as a combination of all those hormones and the sleep deprivation. And then I kind of just stopped sleeping entirely for about three days. And then it was the full blown kind of confusion and uh, paranoia. You know, I thought everything from, you know, there were snipers up on my, my rooftop and that I was, I was hearing, you know, voices and it was, it was terrifying and confusing and I can kind of laugh at it now because it it was just such an unusual experience and you know yeah, thank god i got so the right <laughs> it sounds so extreme it's hard to yeah. to even describe it but it started with you know little things like i thought in the middle of the night um my sleeping eye mask that i was wearing like i woke up and go went like oh my gosh this is lucy my daughter like she's in bed with me like which it was kind of like my husband and I were like, oh, that's just kind of like funny. You were confused. Yeah. You woke up in the middle of the night. But then it was like those little bits of confusion that were like full-blown confusion. I just really didn't know what was going on around me. Hmm. Yeah. The, it, it's whatever it is with, with, you know, early parenting, whether it's breastfeeding or, you know, something else, it's, it's, it consumes your thoughts entirely and you just, you don't think about anything else. So I, I totally know. I actually know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> just that part of it. Um, I and, do feel yeah like that pressure of when it's new, you don't know kind yeah. of what is normal, what's not normal. And so you, I could, I could see the logic of, Oh, you're just, you're sleep deprived. Oh, you're just confused because you're tired or. Yeah. At, at first. Yeah. At first. Absolutely. And you just, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have any other, context and you say, you know, oh, people, you know, you don't sleep for a while and usually Mm -hmm. you're okay with it. Um, It turns out my baseline and my 
regular need for sleep is a lot higher than most people. You know, on I love to sleep like nine or even ten hours a night. Like that's a great, and that's much more than you know other people get. And I always knew that I was sensitive to not getting sleep, but mm. I um, you know, I thought it was like a oh, just buck up and deal with it kind of situation. Versus, yeah. it actually was you know a, a crisis for me to not be sleeping well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did it look like from there? How did you how did you recognize that it was a real problem and that you needed help and then what did you what did you do from there? Yeah, I mean thankfully uh my husband, you know, was there for me and you know my family lived close by and they, you know, I recognized occasionally something was wrong um with the symptoms they kind of were coming and going which was equally confusing because sometimes I was well it looked like I had everything together and I was functioning and then I would go and I couldn't really function so that is part of what I think is hard to detect with the postpartum psychosis is sometimes the moms look totally okay and then sometimes they're really unwell um Mm -hmm. but my husband knew that you know I wasn't acting like myself um Mm -hmm. he could tell that thankfully and you know started to line up the proper support um but for me, it it spiraled kind of quickly and, you know, out of control into the fact that I was so terrified of these, you know, delusions and being confused and really, you know, thinking, you know, who was I if I wasn't, you know, smart and confident and capable? Like, I just didn't feel like myself. And, you know, it was like, what was life worth um, living if I really was a shell of, of my old self, which is how it felt. And, um, and the, the paranoia was, it was just terrifying. So I said to, you know, my mom and my husband, like, should I just go and kill myself? Will that make it all better? Like, will Hmm. that make this go away? Um, and I actually, you know, I thought that was a a good question to ask. I actually thought like I was in my right mind there asking, Mm -hmm. asking that because it really was that um, terrifying. And that was what ended up getting uh, me put in the psychiatric ward. Uh, But I was still in a delusion. I thought I was going to jail. (laughs) That was what um, was playing in my mind, but I was going to a a psychiatric hospital that I didn't really, really know those existed outside of movies, but they do. (laughs) Um, so I spent some time there, was medicated, and then fortunately was able to do a program at a local hospital down in Mountain View called El Camino Hospital, where they have an outpatient program that was, um, you know, kind of a maybe three or four hours every day, and it was with other moms, and I could bring my baby, and we, you know, talked about everything from, you know, mindfulness to self-compassion, um, as well as individual therapy and um, things for self-care and just feeling like I wasn't alone in my struggle was hugely mm-hmm. important. So I had that um, that support and, um, you know, we paid an arm and a leg for getting night nurses, which really, I think, helped mm-hmm. more than anything was to be able to sleep at night. I I gave up breastfeeding. We went to formula um, entirely, partially because it was exhausting for me, but also because of the medications I was taking, I wasn't comfortable breastfeeding anymore. Um, So it was, you know, it was letting go of a lot of 
these expectations of Mm -hmm. how I thought it had to be or the way I wanted to be because I was served a very different reality. (laughs) Um, But I I felt fortunate that I I think I got the right support and I got the help quickly. And that's why I think I was able to make um, such... I think, uh, you know, I bounced back stronger and more resilient. I really do feel that. Um, And that was because I had the right supports in place. Yeah. And and I know you mentioned in your, in your TED talk that that was, that was your commitment was to, to be stronger and more resilient afterwards. Yeah. And, And I'm just curious how you, what things you did that helped you accomplish that obviously the support that you received and and the treatment that you received but what is, what does that look like in an ongoing sense yeah I mean I I think that I I don't take my you know well-being for granted anymore I'm mm-hmm. very cognizant of when I'm if I'm not sleeping well or sleeping enough or I feel like I'm you know overworked or you know things I used to in my old, um, you know, life before I became an entrepreneur, I was running marketing and at a high tech startup, and I would have called that, you know, low grade burnout or, you know, just common traits of someone who's overworked of kind of being low energy or being lethargic or kind of, and now I just think those things are not, those need to be tended to and Mm -hmm. don't let yourself, um, you know, don't wait till it's broken to fix it. Like put a lot of more, you know, preventative actions in place. So, um, you know, I, I've always, you know, been a meditator, but I am, you know, committed to that. Um, I meditate, you know, 20 minutes a day and that helps, um, you know, whether it's, you know, acupuncture or regular exercise, um, you know, getting out and in, into the sunlight if possible. And then of course, you know, I go to sleep early. I put my phone in the other room to charge at night. It sleeps in the kitchen so that it doesn't disturb me or tempt me <laughs> in the middle yeah. of the night if I wake up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's common sense things, but I actually, I treat them like they're as important as I think they should be versus afterthoughts. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to when you, um, when you, it sounds like your family had a big role in, in you getting treatment and being mm-hmm. um, put in the, the psychiatric ward. And you said you were there for ten days. Were you able to see your daughter during that time? What was what was that like? Yeah, um, I was able to. My daughter was able to visit, but it was sporadic and sparse. You know, she maybe was there for an hour or two most of the days. I don't know if I saw her for maybe the first couple days, mm-hmm. but I was so um, out of it, it. That was actually okay. Yeah. Um, I was really not well, and then I was able to be stabilized during that part. Um, but that experience, you know, quite frankly, was a, pretty much a disaster. They were not prepared to care for a new mom they didn't have much experience at all with postpartum depression or psychosis. Um, and I, it was unfortunate. It was not, um, it was necessary, but it was definitely not a helpful part of my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, I know there are better, you know, programs like the program at El Camino Hospital where there's actually graduated care so that 
moms and their babies if they need to have inpatient support Mm -hmm. are separate from the rest of the population in the facility and they're able to have you know regular visits with their child and they try to keep that bond you know present and they are flexible towards that whereas um, you know the hospital that I ended up in in San Francisco just really wasn't equipped Um, Mm -hmm. you know after I was there for seven days as you can imagine um, you know stopping breastfeeding you know rapidly and not Mm -hmm. weaning off I thought I had mastitis and no one had even acknowledged that I was like a mom or a breastfeeding mom. And mm-hmm. so I felt like I was having terrible pain in my breasts. And finally, I had to ask my husband, you know, can you bring me the breast pump so I could at least express like what's left of my milk because it's yeah. like I'm physically in pain. And so mm-hmm. there was things like that were, that were just kind of crappy given I was like, you know, only uh, when I was hospitalized, I was about four weeks postpartum. So I was still, you know, very much recovering from the, the physical effects of the childbirth. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it seems like the second treatment program that you did, a variation of that may have been a better option for you from the start. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, part of what drives me to share my story is sure. there's really, you know, only three hospitals like that. Um, in the country. They're more common in all over Europe, but really um, I think we're doing a poor job here in the States to actually address, you know, it's one in seven moms experience, you know, maternal mental health disorder. It's not always, in a, you know, an immediate crisis in the way that mine was, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's common enough that I think we need to do a better job of supporting moms and acknowledging that fact. Otherwise, um, it's it really breaks my heart if people are trying to get help because it's hard enough to ask for help. But if you mm-hmm. try to actually get help and then you don't receive the proper support, I think that that's a really big failure of the system. Yeah, and I, I think that there is, you know, we will always say there there's been a lot of growth. There's a lot of growth in recognizing postpartum depression. There's a lot of growth in people actually knowing what that really means. Um, however, there's not a lot of growth in what that looks like in getting treatment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something I've always thought of in a perfect world, whether you needed inpatient or outpatient treatment or counseling, you would be able to bring your baby with you. Who can leave their baby yeah. to get treatment yeah. somewhere? Even if it's to go to an appointment when you're four weeks mm-hmm. postpartum, you can't mm-hmm. be away from your baby, you know, for most people more than a couple of hours at max. And, you know, even even postpartum appointments, you can't most places ask that you have someone else to watch your baby as well. And that's yeah. just not a reality for most people. Most people exactly. don't have a spouse who can stay or a partner who can stay home after the baby comes, you know. And so I think that that's something I think about. Obviously, your story makes that gives that a different perspective, especially if you were required to be away from your baby mm-hmm. in a way that. Yeah. And, and I think that. It's a, that's an important piece is that, is that even though we are kind of starting to grow in awareness and starting to kind of see more and more people speak out, which I think is, you know, very powerful, the response is not coming quite yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think, um, you know, again, there there's some good programs going on, um, you know, abroad where there's 
you know, house calls are being made for new moms. That sounds totally reasonable and sane to me that, you know, you should have people coming to check in on mom and baby in the comfort of your own home because mm-hmm. it is hard, you know, even especially if you're facing anxiety, it can be really hard to try to, you know, get your child in the car and to drive somewhere with them. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you're able to take them with your appointment, like that alone can be, you know, overwhelming to think about, um, you know, what are all the supplies I need and are they going to cry? And if they're crying in the car, I'm stressed. And, you know, when you're, when you're having a hard time adding those layers um, of complication to get help can be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I yeah. know that, you know, statistically, most people make their pediatric appointments, but miss their six week follow up postpartum. Yeah, because if you are moving your life and your schedule and kind of calling all the things to being to make you be able to go out of the house with a newborn, you're doing it for your kid, but yeah. neglecting yourself. And that's yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and I would love to just see that, that whole self-sacrificing mother myth just like thrown to the wayside because mm-hmm. I think it's so outdated and it's so harmful when we think that um, either, you know, in order to care for our baby, we need to neglect ourselves or there's not, you know, a win-win situation where we're taking care of our needs and we know that by taking care of our own needs, we can better take care of others. Um, yeah, and that's, that's the piece yeah. is, you know, when we take care of ourselves, we are better able to take care of our families and our children. And yeah. it's, it's, it can really be a vicious, vicious downward spiral where, you know, you aren't caring for yourself. So you're exhausted. You're, you know, you're sad, you're depressed, you're whatever, whatever things you may be. And you, you really... You can't, you can't be emotionally available. You can't be like physically, um, you know, capable of doing the things that, that, that you need to do when you have a newborn, which is a lot of stuff. I mean, there, it takes a lot to take care of a new baby. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a new baby right now, so I know. (laughs) Um, so you have a two-year-old now. She's she's two. She's three. Oh, she's she's three. okay. Yeah, she's three, and and I, I've got another little girl on the way in July. Oh, so we're we're, we're I, thank you. We're very very excited, and I think one of the, the important things that I'm looking forward to, and you know, doing doing this again is that you know my husband's company only offered two weeks of paternity leave before but they've changed their policy to 12 weeks and I think that's another way that um you know I think new moms can be supported is through better paternity leave because I think that was really uh it was hard and things changed from being manageable to completely unmanageable once my husband went back to work and I felt like Mm -hmm. I was barely recovered from the physical aspects of like an intense, you know, 14 hour labor or whatever, you know, 14 hours in the hospital labor was much, you know, started before that. And then, um, yeah, so I think that that's, you know, one thing I also think can make a big difference is as we start to create better, you know, policies that support, you know, both the mom and dad helping out in the home for longer periods after the birth. Yes. That's huge. That's a big jump from two weeks to 12 weeks. Good for, good for his company. So he he plans to take that this time? Yes. Yes. Thankfully. That's wonderful. Um, and what, how, how much maternity leave did you 
take overall with your the first time? And then how much do you plan to take this time? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So, um, yeah, I have my own business and I'm an entrepreneur. So that was, um, you know, part of the the mix that was challenging the, the first go around is I didn't want to be out of my business too long. But then for me, I, I actually was, you know, back teaching at companies by, you know, May, so maybe five months after my daughter was born. But I started to do work after about three months in my recovery just because it made me feel human again. And it made me remember what I was good at and, and you know, what I, I love to do, which is, you know, inspire and empower women and, you know, teach them, ironically, tools of well-being. So, so it was a good reminder of mm-hmm. practicing what I, what I preach. Um, and uh, we'll see. I, um, I've kind of given myself permission to be totally offline if I want to for, you know, six months. But we'll see. I, I haven't decided if that feels uh, spacious and great or if that feels um, like it won't be as inspiring and I'll feel more like myself if I'm able to just do a little bit of yeah. of work. Yeah, and you can figure that out as you go, which is the nice exactly. part. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so good to give yourself that freedom because you don't you don't really know what you'll need postpartum. You don't know if like like you said is is checking in a little bit going to make me feel more inspired and more human and more like myself or am I just going to want to lay in bed all day with my baby? I mean, you really don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really true. And, um, I'm just happy that my husband's going to be home Mm -hmm. longer this time. And, you know, we've of course, uh, arranged for, you know, night nurses, um, to help so that I don't have to, um, you know, worry as much about getting up in the middle of the night, except for feeding. And then, you know, I would love to breastfeed, but I'm also learned to be, you know, flexible on that. And Mm -hmm. I would rather take care of myself than be committed to, you know, exclusively breastfeeding. So, um, you know, I think as you probably realize with baby number two, you kind of like, all right, let's be a little more flexible. They turn out okay. (laughs) (laughs) And no one's going to know when she's 20 if she was breastfed or bottle fed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And I I wanted to ask you, because you kind of mentioned doing the night nurse, like what else have you done to prepare um, Mm -hmm. for this pregnancy and your postpartum period? Yeah. I mean, I've created, um, a pretty, you know, in-depth plan of, you know, what kind of care we want, um, you know, and I'm just, I'm putting in support for more help and support than I think I'll need mm-hmm. and start there. And mm-hmm. I can always decide that that's, you know, not going to work, but my daughter will be, you know, in school five days a week, um, just in the mornings, and then we'll continue with you know, our nanny that we're currently using. So my husband and I will be home and we'll also have a nanny that's there and night support. So um, I feel, you know, fortunate that I am able to have some family helping with those expenses. I won't pretend that those aren't real (laughs) expenses, but I think it's worth it. And it's also, the way I think about it is it's a short-term investment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really, it's not forever, but I need to put these, especially the first month after childbirth where I'm more susceptible. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to just say, let's go all in and do the best we can and still know it's kind of totally out of my control either way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you really don't know what it will actually look like, but I think, you know, whether you have the ability and the resources to, you know, have, like you say, a, a night support and your nanny during the day, it's, it's a lot of it's about a posture of, you know, of reaching out for support. Um, you know, yeah. because again, not everyone may be able to do those things, but a lot of times, you know, you, there's a friend you can call or, you know, family or whatever that looks like, or even just relying more on your, on your partner. I mean, I know that so many moms, regardless of what paternal leave looks like, you know, they, they haven't had those really, really candid conversations with their partner about what it looks like to share the burden at night and to, you know, really accept help from their partner and to say like, you can take care of this baby too. I'm not the only one that can take care of this baby. I might be the one with the boobs, but like, I, (laughs) it's not going to work if, you know, if I'm the only one holding this baby 24 seven. And so I really think it can be about that posture. And that's something that's kind of just an ongoing learning process. Something that I'm still in the midst of is just like, just reaching out when you, when you need help. And that can look as simple as like, hold the baby while I take a shower or like we need to figure something more serious out because, you know, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. Yeah. And I think that sometimes too, especially if you're taking leave and they're not taking leave, people feel this like obligation to be, to power through like, well, I don't have to go to work tomorrow. So I have to be up all night. I have to get up because you know, you're doing Uh, this and like you're, you're appreciating that role. And I think there is something to be said about that, but I think that people get stuck in that rut because they feel guilt yeah about yeah needing something yeah. for themselves and, yeah. and what it would cost I mean, the other person yeah and you know what I'll say to that is like there's coffee breaks when you go to your office job there are yeah, no right. coffee breaks when you're you know at home with a newborn and, and that's why I think it's so important you know if we can when you know your partner is at home with you and sees the reality of you know what that Um, you just, unless you experience and you see it firsthand, you just don't quite get, you know, what do you do all day? I know before I was a mom, I was like, well, what do you, like, what do you do all day? And I couldn't imagine that you could find there's something to tend to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all day long. You just don't understand until you see it. And I think also on that note, you know, I tell my friends who are, you know, new moms or are pregnant, you know, if you have to direct the help, like that's not a break for you and that's not restful. So if that means, you know, you need to actually like leave and go walk out, you know, around the block, like the second your husband, you know, comes home from work, you're like, okay, I'm out so that you're, that he's fully in charge or, Mm -hmm. um, that's really important because I remember, you know, trying you know, trying to cobble together, you know, support for myself and then feeling like, well, if I'm still here telling people, you know, how to do it and what to do it, it it really is not a rest and it doesn't, you know. So there's, you know, little things like that that, you know, I think you can do. And I, I agree with you having those tough conversations of, you know, I remember telling my husband like, hey, you know, if you're going to be home like 15 minutes later than like when I think you're going to be home, like I need to know like a text because that feels like an hour at the end of a day. And like, I really, I need to know because 
that's kind of could be the 15 minutes where I start to like really lose my cool, yeah. um, better for worse. So having those, you know, c- tough conversations up front and, um, you know, I think it, you know, in your home finding, you know, what are the, you know, physical locations where you feel like, you know, calm or peaceful or places where you could rest in the day, like investing in, um, blackout shades, um, so that you can, you know, nap if you're light sensitive, um, Mm -hmm. things like having a list of what are, you know, what do you like stocked in your fridge with the brands and things. So you could have, you know, friends or family could come over and again, you don't have to direct them to anything. You just give them a list and say, Hey, can you get the supplies that aren't here? Because if you have to go and find what's missing in the kitchen and be like, we need that almond milk from Trader Joe's and this and that, mm-hmm. you're still the one directing all the care. And so the more that you can put yourself out of that role and, create some systems um I think especially like while you're pregnant that's a a great way to spend your time and energy I know I spent an enormous amount of time planning for the childbirth and then planning on what gear I was going to buy and um, I got a lot of really great gear which was great but like didn't you know a really factor into all of this, um, you know, big transformation that was coming that I wish I had spent more time like thinking about the blocks and tackling and, you know, having those conversations with my husband, setting up some systems that might have helped. Um, You know, it doesn't make it perfect, but it can certainly help. I love what you said about like kind of removing yourself from the situation because I, I really know what it's like to even, you know, you're talking about like having to direct care. And it's so easy when you're the mom who has this like sort of physical and, and very, very, um, constant relationship with your child that, you know, even if someone else is holding the baby, you're like, you're like, Oh no, hold the baby like this. Or like, you know, the baby should probably sleep now. Or like, you know, why don't you, why don't you like bounce a little more aggressively? Like you, you, you just micromanage every little bit of that. And you're not actually allowing that other person to, to learn for themselves how to care for this baby. And, and I'm kind of primarily talking about the partner. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, your partner actually has to learn how to put that baby to sleep and how to, you know, entertain that baby when you're gone or when you're, you know, just need a break. And I think that when you're, when you're there, um, and especially if you're dealing with anxiety or in your case, psychosis or any of those things, you're just, you're not able to just like, relax you are constantly constantly assessing like how you know how is this how is this working and I probably know better and let me just help you (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. let me just help you do this better than you're doing it and that's not helping anyone it's not helping you it's not helping your partner it's not helping the baby Mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely and I think too just acknowledging like it it does feel good sometimes to be like, I'm the mom and I do know best Uh and I can fix this problem. I mean, that was, you know, that was part, those were some like, you know, good moments and good days where I felt like, oh yeah, like I can, you know, get Lucy to calm down in no time and no one else can, but also like letting go of that and being like, okay, well that's also like keeping me tethered and stressed and not resting. So I need to let some other people, you know, shine in the caregiving responsibilities. Mm -hmm, It can't be just me. Um, but you know, just acknowledging that that's hard too, because you don't necessarily like, it can feel, kind of slighted when you're like oh you know this like a new friend just came and calmed my baby like maybe that means I'm not doing a good job I don't know the cues so you know it's just 
And when you're sleep deprived, everything is, you know, more sensitive (laughs) and hormonal. You're just more sensitive than normal. So, um, you know, give yourself permission to say, you know, maybe that can hurt your feelings, but that's okay. And, And you still need to, you know, and that's where I say, sometimes you just need to leave. Like when we were sleep training, my daughter, I don't even know when this was, but it was a while ago. Um, I just realized, you know, I needed earplugs and then a pillow on my head because I couldn't stand to hear her cry, even though it was, you know, for five minutes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, my husband needed to be in charge of sleep training. And I was like, that's something where you're going to be the expert and you're going to deal with it because it's just too much for me. And kind of giving yourself permission to remove yourself from situations that are are hard like that. Yeah, to give yourself permission to have something be too much for you. Yeah, like, yeah, I think exactly. that that's so important. I think that you hit the nail on the head when you said, I did so much work preparing for birth and getting yeah. all these things and nothing, like ellipses. <laughs> like I feel like totally. what happens then is it's just like, and then you're a parent. And even if you read books, it's like, I will say just like from watching and supporting people, postpartum is a visceral, real life. It's like you get dropped into a video game and it's like survival. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yes. you were moving through this new world and you're trying to like pick up all the tools you can, but you're not really sure. And you, you know, this works for a while and then this works for a while. And you just watch people work the maze. Yeah. And it's so difficult to prepare for that. But the, the, the preparations that we hear constantly from, you know, we've heard it on the show, we've heard is that you need that oxygen mask. You put the oxygen mask on yes. first and then you go towards the world and towards your baby. Yeah. And I think that is so important. And I think it's people like you having the courage to say it didn't go well. Yeah. Yeah. It actually went really bad. And now I yeah. see why. And now I see mm-hmm. now I see a hope for something different because I'm I am doing that work. Yeah, well, and, you know, exactly why you're doing this podcast Mm -hmm. and sharing people's stories is like, can we stop reinventing the wheel like all of us in our silos, you know, we've, I don't know why we, you know, why we do that to ourselves, but we think that we're on this, you know, solo adventure and it takes a village, it truly does, and, you know, we need that support system and like-minded, you know, moms to, to lean on and then, you know, to really you know, I invite all, you know, new moms listening, like be the one that like speaks the truth first, Mm -hmm. just like, you know, just, or start off with like, just like, Hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And just put yourself out there because it opens the door for someone else to say, Hey, you know, me too. Mm -hmm. Like you, you might've seen, you know, those gorgeous photos of, you know, that newborn shoot. But like, let me tell you, like, you know, there was, you know, poop on the outfit and crying and screaming. And we barely got one, you know, you saw the photo. It was beautiful. It was on Facebook (laughs) or it was on Instagram, but like behind the scenes, you know, and, and that too, like I had the, I have these, you know, gorgeous, you know, newborn photos. It was like a week after I got out of the psychiatric ward. I'm like, hello people. <laughs> like, and I was like, and they look good. Cause I didn't, you know, eat at the psych ward for 10 days. So I was like, I looked fabulous, like pre-pregnancy. <laughs> They're beautiful photos. But I was like, they also were not the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so um, true. And I think, you know, we, we talk about this all the time, but the isolation piece is huge and that's just, it's, it, we, we just can't have that. And I think, you know, even for me, like every time we interview someone on this show, like people's stories are so different from mine. 
And yet every single story, I'm like, yes, I totally know what you're talking about. I totally relate. Because we the, the themes of motherhood are so, so, so common. And they're so they're so integrated. Like we all experience, I mean, we have different stories and experiences, but the way we, the way we experience being moms is so, it's really uncannily similar across the board. And and I'm amazed how, you know, I can hear your story, which is obviously different than mine, or I can hear any other story. And I'm, and I'm just nodding my head saying, yes, yes. Like I, I can relate. And, and it's, you know, just in these little ways, how we feel about, ourselves, how we feel about our children, how we feel about these new lives that, like Laura said, we just got dropped into. It's it's so overwhelming. And it really, really, really does take a village. Um, And, you know, I think the ongoing piece is huge. You know, you, you've, you've been able to like set up some great support for, you know, having some professional help and, and that's absolutely invaluable. And, you know, we can't, we can't say that, I mean, that's one of the most important things that you sometimes need in the beginning, but you also, like you said, you need that community of moms. that's going to still be there when your daughter's three years old and you're, you know, you're yeah. spending time together and you remember the difficult times you've come through and the good times you've come through and the difficult time that you're going through now, because now you have a, you know, a, a toddler that is, you know, throwing tantrums and whatever else. And that ongoing piece is so big. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. And I think also, you know, like I said, with, you know, sharing, sometimes being the first to share your struggles and, you know, putting yourself out there a little bit. I think also being open with your friends and telling them how that they can support you, especially um, if you're one of the first ones in, you know, your friend group to maybe have kids. I think that's, you know, an appropriate conversation to have with your friends, something simple of like, Hey, you know, I want you to know, I, you know, I'm really excited about the birth of my upcoming baby, but I'm also nervous. It's going to be a big life change. So I just want to tell you right now, if I say that I'm doing okay, like ask me again or Mm -hmm. ask me a different way so that you can really hear the answer because I know I'm going to have, you know, a million things going on and so many of us, you know, we can just say, oh, I'm busy. I'm busy. And that's like... That's hiding out and not telling the truth of what's going on. And it doesn't have to be with everyone. You don't need to, you know, do a, um, a tell-all at the grocery store. Yeah. But you need to have those couple of friends who you say, hey, you know, dig deeper. And also, you know, I want you to just listen. Mm-hmm. You don't need to, like, you know, have the answer or t- even tell me anything. Just listen and, and make sure that I'm being honest about, you know, where I am. Yeah. And I I feel like everyone, you know, could be like, oh, if a friend said that to me, that would make a lot of sense. And so sometimes we just need to uh, put ourselves out there a little bit and, and tell people, hey, you know, scratch a little bit deeper because this is a big transition, even if I act like it's not or I, or it looks like things are, you know, the house hasn't actually burned down. It, there might be something or else going on. even if you've on. done it before, because I think sometimes people yeah. rally when it's your first baby. Yeah. But- Mm-hmm. A newborn is a newborn, even if yeah. you've already had one before. So, yeah, and I have tons of friends who the, it it wasn't as dramatic like the having um, their first, but then actually when they had their second, it was like, oh, now this is when like at, well, we were could kind of like manage what was going on, and now like you know it start the wear and tear starting to come through, especially 
as a lot of moms have kids closer together, closer in age, you know, it can be, so a lot of, that could be years of not sleeping that can have a cumulative effect. Yeah, Absolutely. and you just have, you have more than one child to be there for. Yeah. You know, I have an almost eight-year-old and a newborn, and I'd like to just lay in bed with the baby all day. That actually feels yeah. good to me, but my son also needs me to be present with him, and he also has to go to school, and he also, like, yeah. needs to eat, you know, a relatively decent diet like you know it, and it, it's, yeah. it's hard to manage it all it really is and you I for me you know I I feel like with the second you can you can have a little more perspective that like this will this will not be like this forever but even so like in the middle of the night or in those really rough moments that perspective is not there it's you know like Laura said and yeah. is a newborn and you are just in it so What's what's it been like for you emotionally thinking about, you know, entering that space in time again, knowing what your experience was before? I know you've set up so many supports and really helpful things that will help you manage that time. But just on an emotional level, how are you feeling about it? I think for better or for worse, as you can probably tell in my tone, I'm I'm insanely optimistic and I can't help myself. So, <laughs> I you know I'm I feel like I'm I'm doing the best that I can. I'm really um, you know excited and we're you know we're looking forward to it. And I'm also trying to you know balance that. I I've controlled the factors I can. Mm-hmm. You know, I've set up supports, but also it's not really my choice what happens. And I think that can be what's really hard with the postpartum, you know, maternal mental health disorders is sometimes like moms, we can feel like, oh, it's my fault Mm -hmm. or I didn't set up the right support or I did something wrong or I'm a bad mom. And you're like, no, sometimes like the cards just, they aren't, (laughs) they aren't in your favor. And sometimes the sleep or the hormones, they just have a, a, you know, a kind of, crappy effect on you and so trying to you know I'm trying to let go of that I am a you know recovering control freak Mm -hmm. so it's hard but that's what I think about the most is okay I'm setting myself up all the things that I can but also trying to realize that you know I think I'm have control over this situation but I don't and when I pretend that I do it's just something that can make it harder when you are, you know, to be in denial. (laughs) So that's where I am. But, you know, maybe that's all of life is we think we are in control, but we're not. We're never (laughs) never in control. The guilt guilt piece is huge because you feel guilty that you're struggling. And then if you get help, you feel guilty that you have help, that you've, you know, I mean, there's just, there's no way to really win when you're (laughs) playing the guilt game because it, you're going to feel it no matter what. And, and shame. I mean, I think the postpartum experience can be filled with shame for mothers and they can feel tremendous, like, like, like failures. Like they are not, you know, like you talked about with breastfeeding, like you have failed at nourishing your child. And the reality is, is that look at this baby, this baby is here and this baby is healthy. And this baby has so many different opportunities and ways to thrive. And, you're, you're going to be part of that no matter how, you know, no matter what it looks like. So I think that's, yeah. Yeah. And you had mentioned pressures you put on yourself. 
yeah. going into yeah. it too. And I think that, you know, that can be a lesson moving forward is that kind of, like you said, that optimism is knowing like, I actually can make a lot of plans and we will just see. Yeah. But, but we'll yeah. do it together. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And that, yeah, I agree with you. The kind of the guilt and the shame and the state, all those things are just, you know, they can be there, but they're definitely not, not helpful. Yeah. So the more that you can kind of pull those away and, you know, realize that you need, yeah, to help yourself and what you said, put your oxygen mask on first. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, but it is, you know, it's weird because that's not, like what we say after we live it but it's not necessarily the cultural messages we're getting so you know it takes courage to even wear that with you know pride I know you know the when I was first kind of setting up this postpartum plan for baby number two I it's like I did feel like really guilty like oh I am so you know so fortunate I get all this help Mm -hmm. and who am I to get all this help and set myself up and I was just like I gotta let that go. It doesn't do anyone any good. And just because no one else, you know, thinks that that amount of self-care and support is appropriate or it's not the message we're hearing in society, I don't know, that, that led to my destruction. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm not playing with that, that any, that fire anymore. And that actually is where, you know, in a weird way, I think because my situation was so severe and was such a crisis, that everyone rallied around me and there was no question that I needed all this support. And I actually, I have immense compassion for, you know, moms that are kind of borderline struggling or like, you know, maybe they feel like their depression or their issue is more on the mild side or it's somewhat controllable because maybe it's, I think it's harder for them to advocate for themselves and then also for others to to rally behind them and recognize it and then say, you know, you deserve this kind of support and we're going to give it to you because, you know, it's, it's tough. I I feel like that was one kind of sickly twisted benefit of being so ill was that there was no question. There was no denying it. It was just like, okay, all the help you can get and we can afford, we will do right away. And that's not always the case. And I think that we kind of tell ourselves as women to find strength in the accomplishments of other women which is great, but finding strength and hiding weakness are very different things. Yeah. And so it's easy to tell yourself, everyone, everyone else has done this. All, like whether it's your friend, your mom, you know, Christy Teigen, whoever, everyone else has done this yeah. and I'm fine because they did it and that means I should be fine. Yeah. That yeah. is a lie. You tell yourself to hide your weakness, which is things are not fine. I'm not okay and it doesn't feel normal. We talked a lot about this on another podcast uh, where we talked about postpartum depression. Is yeah. Even if it's common, it's not normal. There are yeah. things that are not normal. Mm-hmm. And so I think you can you can look to your left and your right and find strength, but you don't use that to parlay what you're struggling with. Yeah. And I think that that's something we really need to encourage in our friends and moms and just as women in general. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you totally are spot on and being transparent, too, about, um, you know, I'm how I'm getting help and how I'm getting supported and that we don't, you know, hide that from each other. And we kind of own up to that and say, this is, this is what I did. Or, you know, my, if you, you know, Oh, my mom came and lived with me for a month and she did all the night feeding. Like, okay, well that's like 
you know, if you don't have that, then, and you're having a night nurse, like that, some people are just, you know, their family is supporting them that way. And so what are all these different flavors and seeing getting help really as a sign of strength and not a weakness at all? Um, Yeah. Yeah, When you see the people around you being transparent with their struggles and also transparent with the solutions to their struggles, it it normalizes it. Like, and then if you're having trouble breastfeeding, you're like, okay, well, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so had trouble breastfeeding and I'm, you know, it doesn't make it easier for me in this struggle, but I'm, I'm more capable of being transparent and I'm also more aware of like what the solutions might be and how to reach out for them. Maybe so, more self-compassionate. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it's not just that I'm not, I mean, and, you know, breastfeeding kind of just is such a huge transition in that mm-hmm. early time. And I think, people try so many things and see so many people and sometimes they just need to be self-compassionate and say this is difficult yeah and and it's really difficult right now and I am you know that grace of saying I am doing everything I can do so yeah yeah well thank you so much Lisa for sharing your story it's it's a it's a very powerful one and we know that you know not not every woman has as severe of an experience as yours, but we, you know, so many women, like we've talked about, really do struggle with some level of, you know, postpartum depression or whatever other mental health disorder it may be. And there's so much to relate to in your story and so much that can help women. So we're really, really glad that you came on the show to share. Um, is there anything, anything you'd like to close with for our listeners? Well, thank you so much. And I just say, you know, if you're struggling, you're you're not alone at all. And the sooner you get help, the sooner you can get better. And, you know, it's really, it's only temporary. So there's like no need to suffer in silence. And there is um, help that's really good out there. So I'll just leave everyone with that. And thank you for your wonderful questions and um, creating this space for for us to, you know, create that tribal knowledge or community knowledge that seems to be getting, you know, lost and siloed. I think it's great to have this open conversation and and have us all learn from each other. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. So we will thanks. we will link to your TEDx talk so people can see that, um, as well as your your coaching website, um, and our listeners can check out your work there. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth and being a part of this community. We'd love for you to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to rate us in iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. We'd also love to hear from you at motherbirth.co if you have any ideas for topics for us to cover or if you'd like to be on the show. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Birth is a personal podcast created by Laura and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant or in the postpartum period.